Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Zephaniah, starting at verse 1, chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal, the names of the pagan and the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord, and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord, and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be ruined. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs who think the Lord will be nothing, either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. They will build houses, but not live in them. They will plant vineyards, but not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter, the shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. Gather together, gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives, And that day sweeps on like chaff before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you 
before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. And the second reading is from 2 Peter chapter 3, and that can be found on page 1224. Chapter 3, verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of, wa- out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring, will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, Since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. And as you're sitting, please do pick up your Bibles again and turn back to that passage in Zephaniah, page 944. We're starting tonight a three-week series looking at this prophecy of Zephaniah, and we're looking at the first section this evening. And so as we do that, let me pray as we come to do this together. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who made this world, that everything in this world belongs to you, and that you are in control of all things in this world. And we pray that tonight as we look into your word that you would help us to understand that we would be humble to listen to what you say and that we would put into practice what you say to us through your word tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first passed my driving test, there was one occasion I can remember distinctly which scared me lots. I don't think I've told my parents this actually, so if they're listening and the recording of this later, sorry. But I remember once I was driving from my hometown to Gallus Shields, it was a local town about three miles away, and I came to the roundabout, I'd been round loads of times, but I was driving a little bit too fast, and as I entered the roundabout I nearly lost control, and I remember it distinctly because I was going sideways up the exit slip road. And you seen the look of horror on the cars coming towards me. And the car then spun round the other way and I went back the other way up the road. And then I went straight. I wonder if you've had those kind of experiences though when you've done something and you think, boy, that was close. And you have that sense of kind of a heightened sense of what's going on around you. I was shaking, but I could feel everything around me. I, I could sense the danger that there was there. I could sense the speed that I needed to go. I needed to be really careful. It had given me a shock. It had woken me up, if you like. Now, it could have been a disaster. And I'm sure we've all had those kind of experiences, haven't we? The near miss. And that might have been driving for you, or maybe when you're riding a bike, or just being stupid when you're younger and you do things and you think, that could have ended so badly if just something else had happened. And we then, after those moments, you take things easy, don't you? you, you you're aware of your surroundings. You try to be a bit more careful and think, I don't want to make that mistake again. Very often, though, that very quickly after that, it becomes that we just go back to normal. The vigilance goes. We're not cautious anymore. Just being complacent and careless. Well, tonight as we start Zephaniah, I think the beginning of Zephaniah is meant to be a wake-up call to us. It's meant to be like one of those moments which scare us, which make us sit up and take notice, to rouse us to reality and to stop us being complacent in our walk in this world. If you wanted a, a summary or a purpose of this chapter, I think it is for us to wake up. The day of the Lord is really coming. Wake up, the day of the Lord is really coming, so be silent and seek the Lord. If you scan through the chapter with me, you'll see that there is this focus all the way through on this day, the day of the Lord. You see it in verse 7. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. Verse 8, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice. Verse 9, on that day. Verse 10, on that day. Verse 12, it's at that time. 
And then verse 14 says, Now the great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. If you look at verses 15 and 16, you'll see it's mentioned time and time again, six times in those two verses. This day that's coming. It's there in verse 18, the day of the Lord's wrath. In chapter 2, we hear about it again. This day is coming. And so be ready for it. Wake up. The day of the Lord is really coming, says Zephaniah to us. That's the first part of our purpose. Wake up. The day of the Lord is really coming. In verse 1, we see that this is a word from the Lord, the covenant God of all the world, sounding a warning for his people to say, this day is really coming. Verse 1 also helps us to think about the context of this whole uh, chapter, the whole book, really. It's interesting, we're giving a lot of uh, unique detail there in verse 1. And we're told a lot about Zephaniah's family history. And the significant thing, I think, the reason it's given there is that we see that Zephaniah was the great-great-grandson of king, the king of Judah, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a good king. In, in two kings, if you read in two kings, you read of Hezekiah's reign, and the summary of it is, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Hezekiah was a good king, a man who followed God and rid the nation of the false religion and idolatry which had crept in. And now his great-great-grandson was preaching in Judah in the time of another good king. You see that in verse 1, he was preaching during the reign of Josiah, son of Amon. And yet between these two good kings, Hezekiah and Josiah, the nation, the nation of Judah, God's people had descended a long way. The kings of the nations had led the people astray. Indeed, Manasseh was a wicked king. You can read of him later in 2 Kings chapter 21. But amongst other things, we read there that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites, he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole as Ahab king of Israel had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I'll put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced sorcery and divination, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the people of the nation followed their king. The people followed Manasseh, and they became thoroughly corrupt. They were conforming to the nations all around them and the people of the whole nation followed. And when Josiah came to the throne, that's what he, the nation that he came to rule. And he tried to change it. But then the most significant thing for Josiah came 18 years into his reign when the temple was being cleared out and the priests found the book of the law, the first five books of our Bibles that we have today. And as that was taken to Josiah, the king realized how far the nation had fallen. And he realized how evil the nation had become. For the book of the law that he found um, illustrated and showed uh, what the people of God were meant to be like. 
And as we read through Zephaniah, what we will see, if you are attentive to it, you will see that the book of the law is picked up many times, particularly the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy was a book which it was, as the people of God were on the bank of the Jordan, about to enter the promised land, Moses preaches to them and tells them all of what has happened in their past. He recounts the history of how God had saved them from Egypt, how God had graciously brought them to this point where they could enter the land. And Moses told them about how God had given them his law and how he had shared with them how they should live in the land. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, he says, be careful, watch yourselves so that you do not forget. Keep following the Lord, Moses said in Deuteronomy. And more than that, all the years before Josiah, God had said in that book through Moses that if you forget, then curses will come. So if you obey God, then God will bless you. God will continue to bless you. Yet if you forget, and if you turn away to other gods and to other things, then God will abandon you and bring curses on you. And Josiah, when they found this book, realized the state that the nation was in. The nation had forgotten, had disobeyed, had turned away from God. And he realized that it was his father and grandfather and others before them who had led this nation astray. I imagine he realized God's covenant curses must be coming and so he reformed. And as he was reforming, Zephaniah was preaching. And we have that message, that prophecy that he spoke. And he said, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord will come and it can't be stopped. And as we hear this tonight, we are meant to heed the same warning. The day of the Lord is coming. Wake up to reality and see it. In these chapters, we see what that day will be like. It starts on a a huge cosmic scale. But as we go through, we'll see it focuses right down onto the individual You see verse 2 and 3, the the day of the Lord will mean the reversal of creation itself. God will take his broom in hand and he will sweep away everything, verse 2. Verse 3, he will sweep away both men and animals. He will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. So it reverses the order of creation. Undoing creation, sweeping it all away when the day of the Lord comes. In verse 4, the camera then zooms onto the one nation and one city, the city of God, Jerusalem, and his nation, Judah. And it says, God will stretch out his hand against Judah and Jerusalem, stretching out his hand against his own people to sweep them away. And see why? As you go on, you see they've been worshipping other gods. They've been worshipping the Baals. They've been worshipping the stars in the sky. Verse 5 shows a a syncretistic people. People who are worshipping the sky, swearing by the one true Lord, but also swearing by Moloch. You see, there's a a syncretism, a a mixing of religions. But that's no true religion. And then just look at what they do by the end. Verse 6, they are those who turn back from following the Lord... And neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Do you see what happens in their syncretism? In their mixing of religion? 
They don't seek God and they don't inquire of God. I think it's as simple to say they don't read their Bibles to know what God wants and they don't pray to him. So if there was a a prayer meeting organized in Judah and Jerusalem in those days, there'd be very few people who attended it. There'd be very few people uh, praying to God, inquiring of him, reading their, their Bibles to understand what God might want for them and from them. You see, they were worshipping lots of other things. Their confidence was in other things, so they didn't pray. And when we seek to serve two masters, is that not what happens? Now, as we serve money or career or pleasure or status or reputation, then you don't need to pray to God. You don't need to read God's word. You see, they might have gone to the temple each week and sworn by Yahweh, but they went back to serving their other gods from Sunday to Friday. These people were practical atheists. Because they didn't seek God or pray to him. They lived as if God didn't actually exist. As if God wasn't the sovereign creator of the whole world. And to people in that situation, God was saying, wake up to reality. The day of the Lord is coming. Do you need to hear that call tonight? Well, the focus gets even narrower in verse 8. On that day, when the the day of the Lord comes, he will punish. He will punish princes and king's sons and people clad in foreign clothes. That might be showing that they had compromised with the world around them. He will will punish those who avoid stepping on the thresholds. That's people who are worshipping a god called Dagon. And not only them, but the people who were filling the temple with violence and deceit. And then from those people in Jerusalem, it gets even more specific. You see in verse 10, a cry goes up from the fish gate and wailing from the new quarter and crashes from the hill. Then there would be those in the market district, the well-to-do merchants. They would not escape. Nor would the silversmiths or the traders. All would be ruined when this day of the Lord came. And then you come to verse 12. I imagine this is a, an Old Testament version of those police programs that you watch. And you ever watch them? You watch them and the police are chasing the suspect in the car. And the car gets to a dead end and it has to stop. And the, the, the suspects jump out of the car and they run away and they flee and hide. But the helicopter's up above with this infrared camera. And it pinpoints exactly where they are because they can't hide. Well, see, that's verse 12. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, says God, and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. You see, the people at the time, they were thinking, well, the Lord's not going to do anything. He won't do anything good or bad. Again, here are those practical atheists. God won't do anything. And as I've lived with these words this week I realise that so often actually they're not so far away from what I think sometimes when we think it doesn't really matter if I I sin in this way because God won't do anything bad 
Why follow the rules? God never does anything good. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's you think, well, it doesn't really matter if I watch pornography, nothing bad will happen. It doesn't matter if I cheat my customers, nothing bad will happen. It doesn't matter if I lie, nothing bad will happen. And conversely, we think, well, why do, why do the right thing? It's so much harder. I lose so much more money. Why follow the rules? God doesn't do anything either good or bad. And it betrays a practical atheism that we have. And yet Zephaniah shows that the day of the Lord is really coming. It really does matter. Wake up. Wake up and see the reality. The day of the Lord is coming and the Lord is going to do something. The verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. And that day will be awful. Verses 14 to 18 paint an awful picture. The day when the strong, mighty warrior will cry out in anguish. When there will be trouble, when there will be blackness. An awful day and becomes because of people's sin. You see that in verse, 18, verse 17? I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. You see, these people are syncretists, serving two masters, not seeking God or praying to him, living as if he doesn't exist, thinking he will do nothing, either good or bad, people who sin. And as we come to this, see, this is written to God's own people. Are we a complacent people? Do we need to wake up to see the reality that the Lord really is coming. If you don't be like those in Peter's time, do you remember in our second reading, they were people who were saying nothing bad will ever happen. So this, this coming of the Lord will never come. They scoff year after year. Everything goes on as it has since the beginning. Nothing ever changes. And yet God is coming. And his delay is just patience on his part. Wake up to reality. The day of the Lord is really coming. And so what are you going to do in the light of that? Well, I think firstly you have to see what it says in verse 7. You see what it says there? Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. You see, the second part of this is wake up to the reality that the day of the Lord is coming, so be silent. Be silent. Waking up to the reality of this day means stop your talking and listen. More than that, actually, it's more kind of the, the thought of when you hear this call, stop talking and submit to God's word. You may try to argue and to talk and to get yourself out from under this, but God says, be quiet, be silent, stop talking, accept what's being said here. Now, I found John Calvin in his commentary really, really helpful in this. He made uh, this comment. He says, by silence is meant submission. And to make the thing more clear, we are to notice the contrast between the silence to which men calmly submit and the stubborn refusal to obey which is ever clamorous. 
For when men seek to be wise of themselves, they are not silent, for they refuse to give a hearing to God's word. And when men give loose reins to their own will, they observe no bounds. To be silent at the presence of God is to submit to God's authority. By silence is meant submission. To be silent in the presence of God is to submit to God's authority. So it happens in our, in our home sometimes that our uh, children do something wrong um, and they, they kind of get a bit annoying at times. It's a rare occurrence, uh, I'll grant you, but it does happen uh, from time to time with our children. Um, and when, when that does happen, when they are uh, naughty and I'm trying to tell them off uh, and trying to explain to them that they've done something wrong, that they've harmed others, uh, that they've uh, disobeyed things and, and it's unkind or whatever it is, when I'm trying to tell them off, there's sometimes they just don't listen. I don't know whether you've done this or you've had this experience. Sometimes it's because they're arguing with someone else. And so they're not listening to me because they're too busy arguing with the others. Sometimes they fake cry. I don't know if you've had that experience. You know, when they're kind of, they're kind of crying and trying to kind of make it look really bad. But they're just not listening. You need to say, stop fake crying. Other times they're just making a noise. Sometimes they put their hands over their ears and do that. Other times you can see them muttering under their breath. If you try to talk to them, you can see them. There's something going on under their breath. Other times you can see there's just nothing behind the eyes. There's noise going on in the head and not even listening. Background noise. And at times, sometimes you just want to take them by the shoulders and shake them and say, will you listen? And that's what God's saying to us, I think. Be silent. Listen to this word. Or maybe like the class teacher in front of the class who in the class are just mayhem going on around clamor, noise arguing, fights and the teacher has to assert their authority over the class and they say silence, stop talking and that's what God's saying the day of the Lord is coming so be silent You see, sometimes, isn't there, when we will not accept what God is saying to us. And maybe it's because there's things going on in our hearts and our minds, noise. We're saying this is not true. We're saying, where is this coming? It's never happened before. Everything goes on as it has since the beginning. This is a bit pointless. Why am I listening to this? Maybe you're thinking, well, God doesn't do anything good or bad. I've done lots of sins in the past week and nothing bad's happened. Why should I listen to this? It's just, it's a bit boring doesn't matter if I ignore him. And God says, silence. Submit to this word. It is really true. The day of the Lord is coming. But that's not the only response. I find Calvin in his commentary quite helpful. He says says this. He says, be silent. That is, know that I have not spoken merely for the purpose of terrifying you. But God is prepared to execute vengeance. Of this he now reminds you. So that if there be any hope of repentance, you may in time seek to return into favor with him. You see, that's the next part of what what Zephaniah will say to us. It is, seek the Lord. Wake up, the day of the Lord is really coming. So be silent and seek the Lord. You see that in in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. You see how it begins there in chapter 2. They gather together, gather together, O shameful nation. But notice when they are to do this. 
Three times we are told in verse 2. Before. Before the appointed time arrives. Before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's wrath. Can you see, this is God speaking. He's saying, this is what's happening. So before that day, this is what you should do. There will come a time when it's too late. So you need to do this before. God sounds the warning so that you can get the wake-up call and then do something. There is a great heresy around today, which we sometimes hear, which says it's not loving or kind to speak of this day, of a day when God will judge. And yet God is the one who speaks of this day. Not merely to terrify us, but to wake us up to action. To say there's something you need to do. To give us time to prepare. You see, we speak of the truth. God says this is what is really happening, so get ready for it. And we get ready for it by seeking the Lord. And to uh, seek the Lord means to be humble and seek righteousness. Do you see that verse 3? Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. That's how you prepare for the day. You seek the Lord by being humble and uh, seeking righteousness. Seeking uh, humility and righteousness. When I worked as a, a physio, uh, sometimes we'd have to um, supervise uh, or mentor junior physios or, or sometimes students as well. And, and sometimes when you had people like that, there were some students or, or junior physios that you had absolutely no confidence in, who really worried you and you were really concerned about. And generally they were the people who knew exactly what to do, so they thought. And so they would go off with a real kind of gung-ho attitude, saying, I know what to do, I can do this job really well. And when you would try to suggest to them, that might not be the best way to do it, but you, you could maybe try doing it in this way, they just would not listen to you. And I had no confidence whatsoever in them. They worried me. They were dangerous. On the other hand, there were those who would come and they would have a certain level of confidence, but they would always come to you and say, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think of that? Does that seem right? And you'd say, yeah, no, that seems right. I'll give it a go. Try that. And so they would go and do it. And when you suggested to them, maybe you could try doing it this way. Have you thought about trying it this? They would listen to what you said, and then they would put it into practice. You see, that's what's going on here, I think. Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. To be humble is to think, I don't really know the right way to go. I need to listen to what God says and to hear what he says. And then when we hear that, then we seek to put it into practice. We seek righteousness. We seek to do the right things. You see, there is times, isn't there, I don't know about you, when we can do the complete opposite of that. Maybe it's an older brother or sister in Christ who says to you, I think you're going the wrong way. I think you're doing something which is wrong. I think it's unwise what you're doing or it's ungodly. And sometimes we can think, what do they know? I'm just going to do what I want. And we don't listen. That's not being humble. That's not seeking righteousness. On the other hand, I remember a student who was here recently who had a great attitude 
Uh, I met with him a few times, and when I met with him, he came with loads of questions. He didn't understand lots of things. And so he asked all these loads of different questions. It was a great time as we sat, and I could open up the Bible with him, and I could say, well, this is what God says here, and maybe this answers your questions. And we spent lots of time going through different things. And sometimes he, he couldn't quite work it out, and so he'd ask more questions. But then when he got it, he would say, okay, I'm going to try and do that then. I'll, I'll try and do that. That was someone who was seeking righteousness, who was seeking humility. And that's the attitude of mind that we see commended in these verses. Be humble. Don't be someone who's thinking, I know it all, and I will do what I want, and I will get on how I want. Rather be someone who's humble before God, listening to what he says, And as we listen to it, then seeking to put it into practice. And it's the same point that was made in in 2 Peter. In the face of the Lord's patience and returning, Peter encourages his readers to make every effort to be godly, to live out this life, to be found spotless and blameless. They were to seek righteousness. They were to seek humility. You see, that's what living for Christ is, seeking to follow his ways and listening to what he says, putting it into practice. And so that means we will seek to do what God says, which is to humble ourselves and to accept that the only way of salvation he offers is through his son's death on the cross. That's, what, that's doing what he commands. But then as God's forgiven children, we, want, we will want to reject compromise with the world around us when we say, this is how you should live. We we sang this morning that we will reject the tempting choice of doubting and delay. Now, when confronted with the opportunity to sin, we will think, we won't think, it's okay, God won't do anything good or bad. Rather, we will think, I want to follow God's way. I want to do what God says. And when we do that, in the face of the warning, verse 3, perhaps then you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. And see, as we heed the warning, as we seek humility, as we seek righteousness, that is the way to find shelter on the day of the Lord's anger. I mean, Zephaniah sounds a little bit uncertain, doesn't it? You know, perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Now, the people in Zephaniah's day had sinned greatly. They turned against God. What hope was there for them? Zephaniah realized that the only possible hope was in the Lord, And yet for us, we find a secure and a much more and a much greater hope than Zephaniah had then. Because we've seen the Lord Jesus, who came as God's righteous one. He came and died on the cross, bearing God's wrath at sin, bearing the punishment for sin on our behalf, so that we might be forgiven and free. And so that we might find refuge on that day It's so that we might find a route through that day, sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Christian here tonight, wake up. The day of the Lord is really coming. So be silent and seek the Lord. And tonight, if you're not a Christian here, can I say the message is exactly the same to you this evening? God says in his word, wake up. 
the day of the Lord is really coming. So be silent and seek the Lord. So there's times when you get a fright and when something happens and it wakes you up to reality and you take more care. That's what Zephaniah has done for us tonight. And so let's resolve to be those who don't forget and go back to living lives of, of complacent ease as if there is no danger. But let us resolve to be those remembering the day of the Lord and seeking to follow him always. Let me pray for us. Father God, we come to you this evening and we humbly ask that you would help us to heed your warning. Father, we thank you that you have given us your warning before time and that you're very patient with us. And would you help us to heed your warning? Would you help us to submit before your word and to seek to live lives which are humble before you and which seek your righteousness to live your ways? And would you help us not to become complacent in our walk with you, but to be those who constantly grow in our knowledge of you and in our, the way in which we live for you? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.